Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. We've been moving through the series called In Christ Alone, looking at the book of Ephesians. And something that we've been saying each and every week is this, that that as we understand our wealth in Christ, it impacts, influences, and informs how we walk in Christ and in this world in every aspect of our life. That as we trust in the goodness and grace and gospel of Jesus, that trust then begins, begins to transform every aspect of our life. That belief impacts behavior. And something I've been noticing over these last couple of weeks as I've been journeying with us as a church body through the book of Ephesians is just how much Jesus is simply recreating what was broken in the fall. That, that in the beginning, God created this world that was full of life and beauty and abundance. And, and at the pinnacle of his creation, he created us people that were made in the image and likeness of God. And and we were meant to have this deep, perfect relationship with God. We were meant to be connected with one another and live a life of holiness that was pleasing unto God, that would reflect his beauty and kindness to the world. And and you see it in Genesis 1 and 2 that, that mankind, male and female, came together in a oneness in their relationship as they were fruitful and multiplied, that they created a family of children that would then cherish the Lord. That was what God desired of us. And yet we know that because of the fall, everything broke. Everything flipped upside down. And so we no longer are connected back to God. We're severed. And therefore, we're not connected with one another. We're distant from one another. And we don't walk in a holiness in life, but rather we walk in our own sin and our own depravity and our own brokenness. And so for those of us that are marriage, there's brokenness there. You look at the world today with with what marriage is now and what families are now, and there's something deeply broken about what God's initial design was. And yet, in Christ alone, Jesus begins to move into every aspect of our life and he begins to touch and transform everything from the majestic of life to the mundane of life. Jesus loves you exactly where you are right now. And yet he loves you enough to not leave you there. And so he's gonna move in and recreate what was broken. And a part of that recreation, a part of that perfect creation in the garden was that we were created to work, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, to love like God and lead like God and to cultivate and create the world around us. And yet that broke because of the fall. And yet Jesus is moving in and he's recreating everything, including our work. Now, it's easy for us to think of work as like a nine to five. I think that's where I think a lot of our minds naturally drift towards. But the biblical understanding of work is anything you do to cultivate and create the world around you. It's anything you move into that you create and cultivate everything around you. And so work is, yes, the nine to five. But it's also the work of raising your kids. It's also what you do if you're a part of the PTA or 
mowing the yard or doing dishes or, or working on your budget as a family. Work is anything you do to cultivate and create the world around you. And Jesus wants to insert himself right there and bring his mission, his ministry, and let you use that work to make much of God as you live lives worthy of the calling in which you've been called. But let's be honest. We have a weird relationship with work. Uh, work was meant to be this expression of, of fruitfulness in our lives, but instead it, it's this uh, frustration in our lives. It was meant to be fruitful, but it's a frustration. I remember for me the first time I kind of grabbed that reality that work can be frustrating. Um, I was in high school and I started working at GameStop, which shouldn't surprise any of you in here that know me, all right? GameStop was kind of nerd heaven and man, I was right in the center of the throne, right? I just moved into that environment and situation and, and I loved it for like a week because you got to check out games and bring them home. And so I could like go and nerd out there during the day and then nerd out at home. And then I realized I was working 40 hours a week as a senior in high school and I really didn't like my boss. And so I uh, went from there to, I turned in my two week notice and I went from there to, to being a rock wall instructor, a rock climbing instructor. And so I kind of swung the pendulum from like absolute nerd to pretty cool. And so I have a complicated past. <laughs> but here's what happened. Uh, my wife likes to say that because of what I'm about to tell you, I have, and this is true, been blacklisted from ever working at a GameStop or Barnes and Noble, which is the same company ever again. So here's what's happened. Uh, I put in my two week notice and 13 days into it, they had scheduled me to work, not just on the 13th day, but throughout the rest of the next several months. And so I went into their office and I said, hey, um, I've already gotten a job somewhere else and I've turned in my two week notice and so I'm kind of out of here. And they go, well, we haven't found your replacement. And I just go, well, that sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> I was in high school, all right? <laughs> and uh, I told them that and they said, look, if you don't come in on that 13th day, then you can never again work at a GameStop or Barnes and Noble again. And I just weighed my options and I just go, yeah, I'm good with that. Um, I'm okay with that. Little did I know Amazon would put them out of business anyway. So, but then I left that job just frustrated. And I'm imagining when I say work, whether it's a nine to five or just anything you do to cultivate and create the world around you, I'm imagining for many of you, you feel that frustration. And we respond to that frustration in kind of one or two extremes. One is that we approach work with apathy, with apathy. We just kind of do the bare minimum and, and we just kind of use it as a means to another end and we do it because we are obligated to do it. We're apathetic towards work. And that apathy is growing more and more in our culture and our world today. And so some of us, we, we struggle with apathy towards work. For many of us, especially in our culture and context, North Dallas, 21st century, I think it's not as much apathy for a lot of us, I think it's idolatry. We approach work as this like means to make much of you. And so you live life just kind of looking for that next promotion, that next uh, praise, um, and you really value your position. And the rea reality of it is Jesus comes in and he begins to recreate what work was always meant to be. In Ephesians chapter six, that's what he's gonna do. And we're gonna see that this morning. He's gonna show us what work was meant to be, but what it could be once again. 
what it was meant to be and what it could be once again. And, and so let me just kind of piggyback on what Kegler said last week w- when talking about husbands and wives and fathers and kids. And, and what he said last week was this, like this passage simply is, is look like Jesus and let's call it a day. Like that's the entirety of last week's passage takeaway and that's the entirety of this week's passage takeaway. Just look like Jesus and let's call it a day. But they pay me by the hour and so I gotta keep on talking. And to unpack that, what this passage is gonna say specifically in the context of work is this, that we need to serve like Jesus and we need to lead like Jesus. That all this is, is what we talk about here all the time, that full devotion is normal for the believer. And what we often do is we kind of create this kind of sacred, secular divide in which we're in the morning, maybe we're in God's word, but then we kind of move throughout the day and we forget that Jesus literally wants to insert himself into every aspect of our lives and transform it. And so when it comes to your work, what you do to create and cultivate the world around you, he's calling us to serve like him and to lead like him. And the hope of this morning is that we leave here knowing that it's Jesus who leads us He's working in us, he's working for us, so we get to go to work for him. And so the first thing we're gonna look at is just what it means to serve like Jesus, Uh, serve like Christ. There we go. Um, The truth is, as you look at this passage, there's a word, before we even dive in, there's a word that kind of um, is used here that, that we can kind of wrongly define. Uh, it's the word bondservant. Some of your translations even use word slave. Uh, there was a season in the history of the church in which people used this passage that we're gonna unpack this morning and they used it to misuse and mistreat uh, uh, people of a different ethnicity. And it was a tragedy in the history of the church and, and what they did and they took a passage completely out of context, made it say something it didn't, applied it in a horrible, horrific way. So let me be abundantly clear before we dive in. Like it is true that in the, in the passage of today that the Bible was not dropped from the sky, but it was written to a real people living in a real time with a real cultural environment. And so we need to understand what it meant to them back then and apply it in the same manner of what it meant to, be, meant to them then, what it always means and what it means for us today. And so when they read this word, there was a reality in which they did have a category in the mind of of masters mistreating people that they were over. That's true. They could even think back to Egypt when when they were oppressed by the Egyptians and God didn't say, hey, work heartily as unto the Lord. He, He threw fire from heaven and said, let my people go to redeem and rescue his people under the harshness of slavery. And yet what the majority of the cultural context was in this moment when this was written was this. It wasn't 17th century agrarian slavery, but rather the closest equivalent we can come to in in what it meant for them then and what it meant for us today was what we would understand as a worker, an employee, anyone that creates and cultivates the world around them and has somebody over them that's overseeing them. And and so for us, I mean, it's, Uh, what, What they understood back then was that it wasn't based on ethnicity or class. These were largely indentured servants that said, hey, I'm gonna use how I'm wired and gifted and I'm gonna come under somebody else that's gonna help provide for me and my family so that we can produce collectively what it means uh, to be fruitful uh, in this world. 
And so they were often considered members of the family, which is why in Ephesians, this is right after husbands, wives, fathers, and kids, and it goes straight into that. And so these were members of the family. And so think like Alice from the Brady Bunch. I think the robot from the Jetsons. Think Alfred from the Fresh Prince. Or think Mary Poppins from Mary Poppins. Like that's what they had in their mind. It was people that were willingly coming under somebody else that, that, that would be a part of their family in order that they could be invested in and that they could then produce and be protected by. And so the closest equivalent we have is a worker. And all of us work. All of us create and cultivate the world around us in some way. And so this passage is for everyone. And so with that in mind, let's read it. It says this, it says, bond servants, workers, those that create and cultivate the world around you. Obey your earthly masters in everything with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with the good will as to the Lord and not as to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And so right here, there is only one singular command to these individuals of bondservants, these individuals that were creating and cultivating the world around them and it had somebody that was overseeing them and it's to obey your earthly masters. To obey your earthly masters. And then from here, it's gonna give seven different characteristics of what it looks like for a Christian, for someone who has trusted in the goodness and gospel of Christ, what should be on the Christian's resume. Like, I don't know if you ever thought about that. Like so often when we think of a resume, we think of what we've done and our educational background, but Jesus will look at us and cares what we do, but he cares how we do it. And so he's gonna give us seven different things. In Bible study 101, anytime you see a list, just slow down and look at them one by one. And so the first thing is that he wants you to obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now that's an idiom for the word respect. It's why in scriptures, you're called to come before God, the ultimate authority, with fear and trembling. And so just like we come before God with fear and trembling, it says, I want you to come before your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with respect with reverence. And it's not just an external reality, it's internal. It says with a sincere heart. And then from there, it says not by way of eye service, not by way of a, a people pleaser. It says uh, that we would do uh, the good, uh, doing the will of God from the heart. And so this is not about just doing whatever your boss tells you, but it's ultimately understanding that you have a boss above that boss. You have a boss who's the boss of boss and the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And that boss is telling you to do something. And so you walk out your Christian conviction, doing the will of God from the heart. From there, it says, rendering service with a good will, that you would be genuinely interested in doing the best job that you can. Why? Because you know something. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. And so take a look at this. This is your Christian resume. This is your Christian resume of what it looks like to create and cultivate the world around you. As you look at this, three times in this passage, it's gonna connect how you work with who you ultimately work for, because that matters. 
So let's look at this passage again. It says, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not as to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. So let me ask you, who are you really serving? Like, look at it. It says three different times that the person you're serving is Christ. And let that sink in. That the person you're ultimately serving, the reason you serve like Christ is because you're ultimately serving and submitting to Christ alone. That you work for Jesus alone. You work for the most majestic, beautiful, kind, creative, sacrificial being in the universe who loves you and is for you. That should radically transform how you work. So whether you're a CEO or self-employed or a stay-at-home parent, you work for Christ alone. And the truth is, this is something I missed for years. Fresh out of college, I went to work for, for a church and, and I had a relationship with God, but the truth is I, I was working for an audience of one, but it wasn't Christ alone. It was my boss, the senior pastor. And I did everything I could just to stay kind of on his good list. And so I never said no to things. I just worked myself really hard, so much so that by the time I was 27, I was having a near mental breakdown. And I was hurt and I was exhausted and I was mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally drained. Why? Because I was working for the wrong audience. I was working for an audience of one, but it wasn't Jesus. And so I came here, and initially I thought just coming to a healthy organization and a healthy church environment, that all of a sudden that was gonna fix my problem, but the problem was, is I was still me. And I began to realize that the same fear of man and perfectionism and acceptance-based performance, that, that I was all of a sudden uh, going out and doing the same thing over and over, and so I went to Regen a few years ago. And I just sat before Jesus for a while and just go, okay, let me approach this and recognize why is it that I just keep on getting in these cycles in my own heart and my own life. And as I sat with him, he went to work on me so that I could see that I need to work for him and him alone. That for so much of me, I know that I'm accepted and loved by God, but I don't live like it. And each and every day, it just feels like I have to prove myself to prove that I matter, to prove that I'm worth it, to prove that other people can praise me. And then I go to bed at night and I weigh my day based on whatever attaboys I got or what, whatever I didn't. And I wake up the next day and I gotta do the same thing over and over and over again. And so I sat before the Lord with that for a year and he began to show me that I am fully accepted in Christ alone. And from that acceptance, yes, I can do, I can perform, but that performance doesn't make me accepted before God. He went to work in me and through me so I could see and celebrate and live life more and more to the fullness because I was serving the most beautiful being in all of existence, Jesus alone. 
And so your relationship with work is a reflection of your relationship with God. Your relationship with work is a reflection of your relationship with God. For some of you, if you work to be accepted like I drift to do often, whether it's at work or at home or just in life, it may be because deep down you don't really believe that you matter to God. And so you're just gonna find it everywhere else and you're always gonna feel a little bit empty. For some of you, maybe this is a little bit of your backstory or your upbringing, but, but you're always working so hard because you go, if I don't work, if I don't put food on the table, if I don't bring in the money, then who will? Who's really gonna provide for me? And it may be because you don't really believe that Christ alone is the one who provides for you. And so if Christ is your boss, how would that transform how you think about your job, how you think about your work, how you would think about how you create and cultivate the world around you, whether you're a CEO or a stay-at-home parent? He loves you and he's for you. And the things we so often try to find in our jobs, in our works, in the things we produce, he gives freely. You see, we serve like Jesus because it's ultimately Jesus who we are serving and Jesus who we're submitting to. And it's Jesus who's leading us. And so we serve like Christ, but then we lead like Christ. We serve like Christ if we are in that position where we are creating and cultivating the world around us and there's somebody else that's responsible uh, over us. And then we'd lead like Christ if we're that person. And let me be clear, we're both in these categories. All of us work, all of us create and cultivate. All of us lead other people in some way, in some capacity. The question not, is not if you do this. The question is how you do it and why you do it and who you're doing this for. And so you serve like Christ and then you lead like Christ. And so Jesus is gonna talk to the masters next. He says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with them. And so once again, Jesus is going to address another group of people, those that are in charge of stewarding other people's lives as they create and cultivate the world around them. And so he's gonna give them another list. He's gonna say, first, I want you to do the same to them. Masters, do the same to them. And so those seven things of characteristics of a Christ-like worker, masters, that's on you too. And one of the commentaries that I love reading about this is they just go, hey, this is the golden rule applied as a boss, as a leader, as someone who oversees other people who are creating and cultivating the world around them. And so do the same to them. You want respect, show it. You want good work, give it. You want people around you to be working with a sincere heart, not by way of eye service, not as people pleasers, then you model that. And so for you, you have to ask yourself this question, am I leading other people the way I would wanna be led? Am I leading other people the way that I would want to be led? Am I leading by example or just by an expectation? Do the same to them. He says next, he says, I want you to stop your threatening. Stop your threatening. Threats were a common used 
reality in the ancient world and commonly used today. And, and a threat is not about having constructive criticism. It's not about a growth plan. It's not even about maybe moving someone in a different arena in your company or in a different position in a volunteer team or a PTA or even asking them to step away if it's not good for them and it's not good for the company. This passage right here, Stop Your Threatening, is all about motivation. How are you motivating people? Because threatening someone is motivating someone out of a fear or out of a punishment. And that is not how you learn Christ. That, that when Jesus came and approached you on your life, he wasn't approaching you say, hey, follow me out of a threat or out of a punishment. But he goes, because I'm good, because I love you, and here's my grace extended to you, a free offer to come. And so what God is telling you to do as someone who oversees other people is to not threaten them, but to love them to extend grace to them. And so for you, ask yourself, am I creating an environment that makes it easy or makes it hard for those that I'm leading to fulfill what Jesus just told them to do? Am I creating an environment around me, wherever I'm leading, wherever I'm creating, wherever I'm cultivating, wherever I'm helping other people flourish, am I creating an environment that's hard or easy for those people to do so with a respect? with a sincere heart, not by way of eye service, not as people pleasers? Am I making it easy for them? Or am I making it hard for them? Stop your threatening. Start leading with love. From there, he says, I want you to know something. I want you to know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with them. I love this because this is the same exact motivation he just gave to the bondservants, to the workers. He says to the bondservants, I want you to know something. The reason why you act this way, the reason why you create and cultivate, not by way of eye service, not as people pleasers, because you know something and more importantly, you know someone knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he'll receive back from the Lord. To the masters, I want you to know something too. I want you to know that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. You see, what I love that Jesus is doing here is he's lifting our eyes away from just the, the moment by moment work of life and lifting our eyes up to see him and the majesty of who he is and what he's done for us. And he's helping us think about eternity, that our work has significant implications in the here and now, but also for all of eternity, that we will all stand before him and he doesn't care about your rank. And so what I love that Jesus is doing right here is he's flipping the model around on us. He's turning it upside down. Or maybe more accurately, he's turning it right side up. You see, when most of us think of an org chart, we think of this. We think of an individual on top with other people that report to him or her. And, and this person on top has kind of made its way through the company or made its way through the volunteer team or made its way through the PTA or made its way up the org chart in some way. And now they're in a position in which they, kind of what they say goes and these people just kind of have to do what this individual says. And Jesus looks at that and goes, that is not how I lead the universe. And so for the one that leads to the universe, maybe we should listen to him with how we lead in the boardroom, in our businesses, with our family, with our friends, because what he says is this, he came and he started saying all these crazy things like he who is first is last. You, you wanna be great, you serve. 
And so Jesus flips this on its head. The majority of the world looks at people's rank as a way to lord over their authority to people. And Jesus goes, no. He goes, I want you to use your role to serve, to bless, and to love other people. I don't want you using your rank to lord it over people. I want you to use your role to love people so that they can become all they were meant to be in Christ alone, that you would steward their lives to much has been given, much is required. And that includes the people around you that you're leading. And so something you need to know is this is how our elders lead. Something that I just hope that you know, as someone who's been here for six years, um, this is how our elders, this is how Kyle Kegler, our lead pastor, leads. Uh, we're in performance review season right now in which every one of our staff is going through and we're, we're listening out, hey, what are areas that we did well this past year? What are areas we can improve this past year? And there's always a question each and every year, hey, how has your boss led you? You wanna know what I really think of kegs? You wanna know what I really think of our elders? Let me summarize what I've said for the last six years. I said, I love you. Because you have redeemed what a healthy boss could be. You see me as a brother in Christ first and not just my boss. You allow me to flourish here. You think about how I'm gifted and wired and keep putting me in positions where I can operate under that gifted and wiredness. And I know that you love me. And City Bridge, let me tell you what that's done to my life. What's that done to my family? How a boss who loves Jesus loves me has transformed me and has allowed me to be more and more all I was meant to be in Christ alone. And you lead somebody and you have an opportunity to use your occupation to transform people's lives. Are you doing that? Are you loving people this way? Because I've seen that here modeled and I've loved that here. And I celebrate Kegler and our elders and not just because it's performance review season. <laughs> but I do want them to make a note of this moment. <laughs> Never hurts. I say that not because it's a performance review season, I say it because it's true. And if you have been given the gift of a role to lead other people, which all of us have, you have an opportunity. You have an obligation to love them the way that you've been loved by Christ. I've seen so many people here do that. I've read so many books about leadership. I've listened to podcasts about leadership and let me just boil all that down for you. Let me save you a lot of time and money, okay? All of those books can be whittled down to three words. Lead like Jesus. Lead from the overflow of your relationship with Christ alone. We serve like Jesus because he's the one who we're ultimately serving. We lead like Jesus because he's the one who leads us. 
And so a couple of final thoughts. A way that I hope that we can not just hear a message but then go and have our lives really radically changed is this. First, that you would see your work as a ministry. You would see your work as a ministry. Matthew 5, 16 says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, work is a ministry because it's a means by which you can serve and love other people. If you begin to reimagine your day-to-day realities as a means to love and serve other people, then you can connect all this mundane stuff of life to the ministry that God has for you. It's not a means to an end. It's a ministry. I talked to Meg, who's our women's director here, and I just asked her, hey, I know you run with a lot of women around here. You lead and direct them. How would they hear this message? And she just said this. She says, there's so many faithful women in our body who are spending most of their days just chasing after kids and cleaning up after them. They've sacrificed so much and they don't get paid a dollar for it. I want them to know that what they do matters. They mimic God every day by creating order out of chaos, amen? And cultivating their homes to serve and bless others. That is a ministry. So whether you're a CEO, a self-employed worker, or you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, your work matters because you matter. Your work is a ministry when you begin to reimagine it as a means to serve and bless other people around you. Your work is a ministry, but your work is also a mission field. It's a mission field. That it says in Colossians 4 or 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how you ought to answer each and every person. That you will be in rooms that nobody else on this stage will ever be in. God has purposely placed you in all these different arenas, whether to be a worker or whether to be a boss, whether to be someone who is cultivating, creating the world around you and using that work as a ministry, but then you use your words to carry on the mission of God, to celebrate the goodness and the kindness of Christ alone. And so my wife, for a while, she, was, uh, she had her own Etsy shop, and, and every single time she would ship out something, she would put a card in there that just shared the gospel with them. I asked a friend of mine this week, hey, how do you, how do you see your work as a mission field, and how do you practically do that? And he just goes, look, I memorize Proverbs, and so that in meetings, in this kind of corporate American vi- environment, I just kind of quote it, but I, but I don't say where it's from, but every single time I do that, nearly every single time, someone comes up to me and goes, man, that was so good, where did you get that? And he goes, funny you ask, and he kind of Jesus jukes them in the moment. It's amazing. I know so many of you up here that that you come to us before men's and women's Bible studies and you just go, hey, don't put anyone at our table because I'm using my work, I'm leveraging my relationships there to tell them about Jesus and they wanna come and see not our church, but our Christ. You are in rooms that so many of us will never be in and that is purposeful. God has you there on purpose, so that you might begin to see your work 
the things you do to create and cultivate the world around you as a mission field. And finally, that you would see your work as a means to make much of God. One of my favorite books is a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's written by this guy named Brother Lawrence. He was in a monastery and his job as a, as a monastery, as a monk, was to wash dishes all day. So from nine to five, his job was one thing, wash dishes. And yet he used that as a means to make much of God. So much so that he wrote a hymn that he would sing while he was working. That literally goes, Lord of pots and pans and things, since I have no time to be doing lovely things, like staying up late with thee or storming heaven's gates, make me a saint by making meals and washing plates. You see, when you begin to reimagine your work as a ministry, as a mission field, as a means to make much of God, then you can take the mundane of life, which most of life is mundane, but you begin to connect it to the majesty of Jesus the Christ. And that will transform your life. And you will begin to see the beautiful reality that not just in your little quiet time in the morning, but in every moment of your day, you begin to see what Jesus promised us in Matthew 28, that he is with you always, even to the end of the age even while you're running around chasing kids, even while you're doing dishes, even while you're leading a meeting, he's with you, he's with you. And so I wanna do a little exercise with us. I want us to close our eyes and I want you to imagine your day tomorrow. I want you to think through your schedule, what's on it, what are you doing? What mundane tasks are on the list of things to do? What people will you be around? And I want you to think through that and just kind of pre-live tomorrow for a moment. And I want you to ask the Lord, how in this moment, how with that person, how with this task can I use this as a ministry to love and bless people? How can I use it as a mission field to share the goodness and the grace of God? How can I use it as a means to make much of God? Okay, look at me. When you begin to connect the mundane of life to the majesty of Jesus, everything changes because he's in the business of transforming everything and everyone who would trust in him. You see, when Jesus came, he had this habit of healing people. He would go around and he would invest his life into others and their lives were never the same. So much so that people started to see this and they started to say, hey, why are you doing these things? And Jesus said in John chapter five, he says, I see my father in heaven working and therefore I'm working right now. 
And so what did Jesus mean by that? Well, in Genesis 1, God takes up the work of creation. And in that creation, in Genesis 2, it says he ceases from work. He ceased the work of creation. And yet we know in Genesis chapter three, everything breaks. And so God, the father takes up the work, not of creation, but of recreation, of recreating, restoring, redeeming what was broken by the fall. And so when Jesus came, he goes, I see my father at work recreating. And so I'm gonna partake in the recreated order of my father who's in heaven. And so Jesus came and he did the work that you or I could not. He went to a cross and died the death that you and I deserve because of your sin. He died and he did not stay dead, but he rose to life doing the work that none of us can do in accomplishing what none of us could accomplish in Christ alone. And so when people asked him in John chapter six, then what is the work that we do? Jesus said this, he said, the work is to believe in him whom he has sent. Do not miss this, because this is everything. This is every message we will ever give that the work of God for you in every moment of every day is to trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's in a meeting, or whether it's washing dishes, that you begin to trust him more and more, and that belief impacts your behavior, that you begin to live a life of fullness and joy and fulfillment that's only found in Christ alone that he begins to do a work in you because he's already done a work for you. And when that happens, then work becomes a ministry. Work becomes a mission field. Work becomes a means to make much of God and no longer is it apathetic. No longer is it an idol but is in a fruitful expression of who you are in Christ. It's a response to full devotion in Christ alone. And so City Bridge, Jesus has done the work for you. And he's doing a work in all those that believe in him. So now let's get to work in Christ alone. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.